Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. In today's episode, we would like to take you to a slumber party. All right, so go back to your roots, go back to your, your childhood memories if you have them of a slumber party. You know, dress in your long pajamas, uh, huddle around the floor, and uh, and start thinking long and hard about the occult and the supernatural world. And who you are going to pick to put their hand in a bowl of water when they fall asleep. Oh, uh, yeah. You know that old trick? I, I have heard that one. Or there's the putting the whipped cream in the hand or the shaving cream in the hand and then tickle the nose and then... And then wah, wah. Yeah. Shaving I, cream on the head. The, the amusing thing when we were talking about this episode and, and getting things together for it, you have some legitimate slumber party memories and some anecdotes about horsing around with a lot of this stuff. But I, I don't think I ever did any of this stuff. Um, I can only think of a, like a few, like a handful of slumber party type things that I went to. And I don't even think we call it, you call them slumber parties necessarily if it's little boys. I feel like they were just like sleepovers or something. And, and I think we just, basically played a lot of video games and i remember once uh the kid whose house it was he was grounded because he ran through the house naked and like that was the extent of the excitement all right well i don't want to get off on a tangent already before we've started the podcast because obviously we're going to cover some of these uh, slumber party hijinks of our youth and talk about the science behind them of, of what seemed like it could be possible or not possible but I wanted to point that out, the gender difference. I wonder if the obsession with the occult has something to do with, um, well, not. I'm not saying all kids, girls are witches. The inherent evil <laughs> of, of, of the female sex. Exactly. That's what I meant to say. Uh, but I wonder if that has some sort of root in um, interest in this because there was a sort of, if you look at it, uh, at least historically, a power in Invocating things and mm-hmm. looking toward the dark arts well, for it, power as opposed to actually having a lot of power in your life. And I'm thinking 1600s here. So. Yeah. Well, the one thing that definitely comes to mind is that a lot of these games kind of remind us of icebreakers in that they are, they're, they're forcing people to interact with each other. It's more of a communal open experience. Mm-hmm. And by and large, it seems like females are often more inclined to that than uh, than males when they're in their individual groups. For instance, when I think of Jeju Sauna, which is here in Atlanta, this, uh, mm-hmm. this Korean sauna that uh, a lot of people go to, and it's, it's really cool, but they divide you into into sexes for part of it. There's the, the men's sauna and the women's sauna. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I only know what goes on in the men's sauna, obviously. So I'll, I'll ask my wife, it's like, well, what's it like in the, in the women's sauna? And it's like, well, there's a lot of talking. There's a lot of women within their own group talking with each other, and then you may meet other women that are in the, that side of the sauna, whereas on the men's side, it's completely different. It's just like a bunch of naked dudes staring at the at the tiles. You know, there's not really any talking going on. And granted, that's a little different than a childhood slumber party. But I but but I can see where I mean, guys are just gonna they're they're not gonna be as as open to say doing light as a finger, stiff as a board. Well, I don't know. I think that next time you go, that you should bring a Ouija board. In with you to the sauna to the sauna and see if you can strike up some conversations. Yeah, yeah, maybe so, maybe so. Yeah, all right. So you have mentioned uh, light as a feather, stiff as a board, which is something known as party levitation. Yes, this was uh, apparently made famous by the film The Craft, which I think I saw, but I only remember that uh, actress uh, Feruza Balk was in it, and oh, she yeah. was all gothy and cute. No, that that's my full experience mm-hmm. with that film. Well, here's the setup. 
Okay, you've got your sleepover. And this is a, a, a sleepover staple, by the way, party levitation. So imagine four 90-pound girls mm-hmm. who are all arranged around their friend, and she's laying on her back on the floor. Okay. Okay. And they all uh, get just one finger, each finger uh, from each hand, under her. Okay. And then they are going to lift up this 90-pound girl just using their index fingers. Okay. okay. So inevitably, they, they try it. They're like, all right, let's lift her using our fingers. And nothing happens, right? It's just a bunch of people lifting up on their fingers, tickling the person a little bit. And it's it's hilarious, but nothing happens. Yeah. And then someone says, hey, let's let's uh, harken back to our Wiccan ancestors. Okay. And, and uh, repeat a chant that may give us the power, supernatural power. Okay. Supernatural strength to lift her. And so they chant four times as though they are now a coven of witches casting their spell. And they chant, light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. Light as a feather, stiff as a board. And on the fourth one, miraculously, they levitate their friend. Well, they don't quite levitate her, but, but they lift they her, pick up. her up. <laughs> they pick her Which, up. Which, uh, in the proper environment with the proper expectations can certainly seem like an amazing levitation experience. And that's the, one of the key things to realize here. First of all, ritualized experience. Never, we've touched on this before, <laughs> but never discount the power of a little ritual in a thing. Because right. it, can, it changes your perception about what is happening mm-hmm. and your expectations about what will happen. Likewise, concerted effort. Light as a finger stiff in the board is kind of a on the count of three type of deal. It absolutely On the count is. of three, we're all going to do this at once, as opposed to girls randomly moving their fingers up and down and not picking someone up off the, off the floor. Yeah, you're right. You're synchronizing with that, which is really important. And we've talked about that, too, in terms of any sort of ritual that you do as a group, because you're also synchronizing the neurons yeah. that are firing in your brain. Yeah, whether you're getting geared up to run through, uh, run, to walk across some hot coals, mm-hmm. or you're in church singing a hymn. Yeah, and Dr. Carl Krislinicki of Australia's ABC Science has said that that's really important, this this chanting, this ritualized portion of it and syncing up. But not only that, as you say, the memory of it. Yeah. Um, because he's saying that if you look at uh, any clip on YouTube, you will see that what is happening is that um, once they sync up and once they do the, the chanting, that yes, indeed, they do lift their friend, but it's really only a couple of inches, and the friend's about to fall, and it, it's not quite the success that they think it is in their minds. Because yeah. when, when they're talking about it in the clips, they're like, whoa, we actually really lifted her very high. Yeah, but you're 10 years old, you're full of sugar, it's late at night, <laughs> the perception's going to be a little different. Right, and I have to say, too, that when I did it in, in sleepovers before, that when I take out that memory and mm-hmm. I examine it, I did think that you know I was really lifting my friend very high. And were you yourself levitated or were you one of the levitators? I was one of the levitators because I really, like, you know, I was obsessed with the occult at that age, by the way. And and not just the occult, like, I would spend my weekends trying to hypnotize myself and I had books on it. And so these were huge mysteries to me and I put a lot of effort into it. So if someone was going to be, you know, levitated, I was going to be in that group to help them with the power. Ah, we'll see. And this is, we'll discuss this a little more in a minute, but I feel like I was, uh, I was always fascinated with the occult as well. Um, you know, and I would buy, like, I had a copy of that, the fake Necronomicon. I had a copy of the uh, the Satanic Bible. I mean, it, you know, in, anything like that that was just kind of, uh, you know, ooh, this is spooky and, and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, like I would get into it. But then I was always reluctant to cross a certain line. I was a little, maybe not terrified, but I was reluctant to cross that line where something might actually happen. 
Oh, see, I would have gone like Willow, Evil Willow okay. <laughs> instantly. I was a big participant in that. Um, I want to also mention that Dr. Kruslanicki talks about the, the third and last factor being the strength in our fingers and that we yes. just underestimate them. Yeah, I mean, it looks like nothing. And certainly, if you haven't had uh, a broken finger, you've seen someone who has, and you get that in your mind instantly. I mean, you're, <laughs> there are so many opportunities to to damage your digits in the course of a day. So you're, you're very conscious of that. But in reality, they're they're pretty rugged, and they're, they can hold a lot of strength. I mean, there are examples of famous strongmen who uh, were able to, to do some amazing feats with just uh, a finger or two. Uh, there was uh, Louis Cyr, the uh, old-time French-Canadian strongman, who could uh, allegedly lift 553 pounds with a single finger. He'd used his, uh, his right middle, by the way. Mm-hmm. And um, then there was an American strongman by the name of Warren Lincoln Travis. And uh, he uh, allegedly lifted 560 pounds on his 50th birthday with a single finger. Not I, sure which one it was. I love to imagine that both of them had magnificently curled mustaches. Yes. When I was researching, I started looking through uh, some of these pictures of these guys. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of cool facial hair, a lot of those old-timey, what do you call it, like a wrestler wears, uh, singlet? So, that sounds yeah. right. Yeah. That sounds or historically tights, accurate. Or occasionally an uh, old-timey nude photo would pop up. <laughs> I, I think it was maybe Louis uh, Sear, the, the French-Canadian guy. I was like, whoa, that's a little much, Louis. Uh, Thanks, Louis. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, go, go look some of those old guys up uh, if you get a chance. It's, it's pretty amusing. But I think the really cool things that are going on here is, again, memory, which we've talked about it. We've talked about this reserve of strength in our bodies. That, yes. That we can, you know, hit the potential sometimes and not even realize. And not realize, thinking we're, we're more fragile than we are, which is yeah. something we saw with, uh, with walking on hot coals. We talk about you see the coals, you see fire, you think, no way am I going to walk on that. If I walk on that, I'm going to burn. But as we discussed in that episode, if things are under the right conditions, it's very doable. And this is something that's very doable. And you've got the group psychology element to yes. it as well. Um, another good staple of a, a slumber party is, of course, the Ouija board. Yes. With one of the most mysterious spellings of, of, of all time, of course, <laughs> that is O-U-I-J-A. I, I think there's only a handful of people on Earth who remember that in any given moment. Um, anytime I search for it, I'm like typing in all sorts of weird combinations of letters but uh, this is of course a board looks more or less like a like a board game board right Mm -hmm. uh you unfold it and you have it has a number of letters spread out across it and some numbers and a yes and a no and a maybe and a maybe (laughs) (laughs) and uh it actually was a board game that came into vogue around 1890 at least in the united states and it was a parlor game and it was sold in novelty shops yeah, and it, there are other models of it that existed before it actually became the Ouija board. It goes back to you know, mid-19th century talking boards mm-hmm. that kind of uh, use the same principle. Uh, now, the, those were used in seances, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, to, to make this work, you need a little device that kind of looks like a computer mouse. Uh, <laughs> this is called a planchette. It is a three-legged little object with a hole in the middle or a pointer. Now, on some of these older, in the, the, the older traditions, you would also put a pencil there. And uh, everyone would put their fingers, or one person who was in charge of the seance would put their fingers on it. Mm-hmm. And then the spirit would guide the pencil to draw out each individual letter 
but the thing is that takes forever. So <laughs> the talking board comes apart because someone eventually loses their cool in the seance, and they're like, just write some letters on a board. What are you trying to say already? I know the time is limitless in the spirit world, but we have places to be. <laughs> so just get some letters on a board, and let's roll with this thing. And I'm getting charged by the minute. Most of everyone out there, I imagine, has seen a Ouija board, and this is what happens. You have a number of people gather around this board. Everyone puts their fingers on the planchette, and then... You speak to the spirit world. You're like, oh, spirits of old, uh, tell me what's the name of my future boyfriend, that kind of thing. And, you know, or whatever your, your questions are, you can ask the spirit world anything. Uh, anything's fair game. And where then, is my pony? Where is my pony? And then it will begin to move. Nobody's touching it. Everyone's like, are you touching it? No, I'm not. I mean, everyone's touching it, but no one's supposed to be moving it. And everyone starts accusing everyone else. Are you moving it? No, I'm not moving it. Oh my goodness, it's moving on its own. Yeah. The spirit is moving it. And then the, the uh, pointer will move from one letter to another or from a yes to or to a yes or a no, depending on what kind of question you asked. And it really does when you're that age, I think, too. Um, or even when you're older and perhaps there's other substances involved. Um, you do really sort of feel like it is moving. Yes. And so, of course, that's the parlor game trick to it all. Um, what is actually going on is something called the ideometer effect. And these are small muscle movements that we generate unconsciously. Yeah, the term was coined by William B. Carpenter in 1852, and he was explaining uh, another pseudo-scientific slash occultist thing, uh, which was the movement of rods and pendulums by dowsers, dowsing rods, Mm -hmm. uh, which you use to find water uh, and the like. And so he looked at this and he realized, all right, well, these people are observing some sort of phenomenon, uh, something's going on, but it's not discovering where water is by using a stick. Mm -hmm. Well, there is a new scientist article called Ouija Board Help Scientists Probe the Subconscious. And in it, they are talking to psychologist Helene Gashou. And she says that this idiomotor action is, you know, present in our day all the time. We just don't realize it. Yeah, it's just a part of our everyday life. But this is an experiment that focuses in on on something that we don't usually look at Mm -hmm. and then applies a level of ritual and expectation to it. Yeah, and she says, like, take driving your car along a familiar route Mm -hmm. that you do every morning. And then you arrive, you park your car, and you have this feeling like, how did I get here? Have you ever done that? Oh, yeah. And she says that this inner zombie is part of this whole uh, ideometer effect, that the, we're doing all of this uh, subconsciously and not even really realizing it. And so what she did is she wanted to test this idea, and she had her team and uh, work with one person with her finger on a planchette at a time. Okay, So she realized, though, that the ideometer effect is really maximized with a Ouija board if you believe you are not responsible for any movements. And, and this is brilliant what she does here. Yeah, so she, so what she does is she says, okay, well, now this person needs to feel like they're in a group situation or mm-hmm. with another person. And so what she did is she, she told them they would be using the board with a partner, and then the subject was then blindfolded. And then what they didn't know is that their so-called partner removed their hands from the planchette when the experiment began. Oh, so they think other people are touching it, but they're not really. They're really going solo with these answers. Yes, and she said the technique worked at least uh, with something like 21 out of 27 times with the volunteers tested and she said uh, the plan- the planchette does not move randomly around the board. It moves to yes or no mm-hmm. for these 21 out of 27. And it moves, uh, it seems to move almost magically to them. And none of them felt responsible for the movement, even though, of course, they were doing it. And, in fact, some subjects suspected that their partner was really an actor, but they thought the actor was deliberately moving the planchette. And they never suspected that they themselves were the ones that were doing it. 
<laughs> it's also important to note that in experiments, uh, if you turn the board upside down after the individual is blindfolded or the individuals are blindfolded, the spirit will not uh, adjust to the new positioning of the board. Uh, Which seemed really inflexible. Yeah, in, in, the- in case anyone was out there was like, was still on the, the fence about whether or not this was a ghost talking. But the amazing thing about all of this is that, and, and, and I think it's the case with all the things that we're talking about in this particular episode, is that on one level there's that childhood fantasy occultist level of intrigue about it, like something amazing is happening mm-hmm. here. Well, then when you look behind the scenes and you look at the actual science, there's still something amazing happening here. Um, at, at risk of overstating it a little bit, you're not getting in touch with an unknowable spirit from from beyond our perception. Mm-hmm. You're getting in touch with the subconscious, which is kind of a, an unknowable spirit from beyond our perception. Uh, to quote Sigmund Freud, the conscious mind may be compared to a fountain playing in the sun and falling back into the great subterranean pool of subconsciousness from which it rises. So in that deep, black, murky ocean of the, the underbrain sea, with the Ouija board, we're kind of getting in touch with the monsters that live there. So what I want to know is, is uh, do you think psychologists will begin using the Ouija board in their sessions? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. It might have a certain stigma to it. It might. But I do think it's interesting because it is unearthing some things. And I was thinking about my own experience as a child with Ouija board. And I remember that we were talking to a spirit named Seth through the Ooh, uh, Seth. Ouija that's a, board. That's a good spirit. Doesn't that yeah. sound like he, he really sounds evil? handsome, too. You know? Seth. Yeah. And uh, someone said, what does Julie dream about? And then the, it went to, or it spelled out, A-bombs. Ooh. Which was something in my, that I used to dream about. It was a nightmare that I had, a reoccurring nightmare about atom bombs. So, you know, obviously I was moving it, but I didn't know consciously that I was spelling out A-bombs or that it really bothered me that much. Wow. That's pretty cool. I, I myself have, I don't think I've ever used a Ouija board. Maybe... In the week ahead, we will correct this, and we'll videotape it and put it on the uh, the website. We'll see. But, yeah, I, I never used one. My mom had one and was apparently a fan of the device. But then she went off to college, and when she came back, it was gone. And dun, dun, dun. and she attributed this, uh, I mean, maybe not seriously, but she used to, she would mention, like, oh, I think it, you know, it vanished. And then later on, uh, she realized, oh, wait, my... She's, she's realized that my grandmother had gotten rid of it because I don't think she really liked it, you know, because yeah. some people get up in arms about the, the Ouija board. Some people are a little leery. Some people see it as, as if not harmless in and of itself. They see it as a gateway to other uh, occultist things. And, uh, and, and if you lead, read a lot of chick tracks, you may think that it is just straight up talking to the devil. Yeah, but if you want to take a little bit of power out of that, play the game, you know, and get an unbiased person to stand there and actually see the letters that are spelled out, because this is another thing that they say. Yeah, go in, go into it if you want. I mean, by all means, go into it and have some fun with a Ouija board and talk about spirits and all. But also go into it and think about the mysteries you're about to examine with the human mind. You yeah, know? yeah. Blindfold yourselves, get an unbiased person to stand there and to actually see what the letters are. And I will tell you that most times gobbledygook is going to come out of that. <laughs> and it's a good example of how uh, really it is the unconscious mind that's guiding this process. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to somebody by the name of Bloody Mary. All right, we're back, and you mentioned Bloody Mary. Yes. Now, this one I definitely remember. The, the rules of this are, are pretty simple. You can do this on your own or certainly at a slumber party. The idea is you go into the bathroom, 
lights out, mm-hmm. all right? Or at the very least, dim lights. Generally, they say lights out, but there's probably going to be some light in there, be it a candle or Yeah, candle in hand. Or just light under the door. Let's just be dramatic about it. Yeah, lights bring out, the candle. Okay. candle in hand. All right, light out, candle in hand, go into the bathroom, stare into the mirror, and then you say the name Bloody Mary three times, five times, six times, seven times. It, it depends. It varies. The recipe is not really set in stone. But at any rate... It, by saying it a number of times, you invoke this incantation, and a mysterious, blood-faced woman will appear in the mirror before you. She will reach out, and she will scratch your face off. Yeah. So, yeah, this was definitely an example of a situation where I was reluctant to cross the line of the occult. You know, I think about it all the time when I'm seeing a, a dark bathroom and noticing the mirror in there. But I'm, I guess at heart I'm thinking, all right, if it, if it doesn't work... If a, if a woman does not appear in the mirror and attack me, then uh, yeah, it's just all for nothing. But but what if she does? You know, where's the win there? All right, it worked, <laughs> and now I have no face, right? Or what if she grabbed you and took you into her death portal with her? That could happen, too. And, of course, one of the things involved here is that we're talking about a mirror. And mirrors have long had this association with magic and the unknown. Because at a very basic level, you look into a mirror, and there you see yourself with a little inversion going on to, mm-hmm. to sort of mess with you. And if it's not a perfect mirror, and certainly for the longest, uh, mirrors were largely imperfect in certain ways, you get a distorted view of what the world is like. And so there's a long, long history of mirrors being used in occultist or, or religious uh, ceremonies mm-hmm. even. the uh, There are numerous... Uh, uh, examples of magic mirrors. There was uh, Cambusen's mirror, uh, which warned of approaching ill fortune. There was Lau's mirror, which reflected the mind and its thoughts. There was Merlin's magic mirror that informed the king of plots, treasons, and invasions. There was Reynard's wonderful mirror, which showed conditions one mile away, which I think is kind of a limited design there. And then Vulcan's mirror showed the past, present, and future. And, of course, uh, Harry Potter. Yeah, there was a magic mirror in there that uh, shows you Harry Potter's parents, I believe. Well, and in Wiccan rituals, too, apparently um, young women who were trying to figure out who their husband would be, again, we're talking uh-huh. back in the old day, would take a mirror and a candle, walk backwards, ask the mirror, and sometimes it was thought that the mirror would reveal who the husband, who their husband would be, uh, or sometimes it was Bloody Mary who would appear. Now, have you done this? Have you? I've not done Bloody okay. Mary. For whatever reason, I just never, never have done it. Hmm. Um, but I do think it's interesting. Today's the day. Today's you know? the day. Um, you know, yeah. right after this, I'm going to go into our office bathroom, and I'm going to do Bloody Mary. I don't care who's in the stall. <laughs> uh, but I do think it's interesting because, again, you've got the incantation part of it, uh, the ritual part of it. But let's talk about what's actually going on because I think that is really cool. Right, because this is another example of the, the fantasy, the fiction, the supernatural aspect of it is interesting. But when you, you strip that away and you get down to the science, it's equally creepy and weird and amazing. Because here's the thing. People do see things in the mirror. Uh, But again, it points to this idea that we can't always trust what we see and what our eyes can put together for us. Um, At the University of Urbino, researcher Giovanni B. Caputo had 50 participants look in the mirror for 10 minutes in a dimly lit room and describe what they saw. Now, none of these people were knew what they were there for, so they had no preconceived notions of Bloody Mary. Um, what, right. what they saw is fascinating. It yeah. is fascinating. And this was published in uh, the Journal of Perception. Two-thirds of participants saw 
said that they saw huge uh, deformations of their own face. Okay. Okay. Nearly half of the participants even reported seeing fantastical or monstrous beings. A few participants reported seeing faces of parents, ancestors, and strangers, including women and children. And all the participants saw someone or something in the mirror other than themselves. I like that uh, 28% saw an archetype. Uh, in the mirror. They saw an old woman or they saw mm-hmm. a child or a portrait of an ancestor kind of a thing, you know. So, yeah, everyone's staring into this mirror and if you stare long enough you see something else. You see the the face becomes something else to you. And that's because, uh, according to Caputo, you've got basic visual distortions affecting the face-specific interpretation system, Yeah, part of your brain. So, when your brain is faced with a lot of stimulation, uh, only some of it is considered relevant. So as it continues to look and look and look at the reflection of your face, then it's trying to make sense of what what's really important here. There are a lot of different details. Like I find myself doing this when I look people when I actually look people in the eyes while they're talking. Like I'll start you know because there's sort of a quick visual reference. Like I'm looking around the room and I'm like, all right, there's Julie, there's Matt, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then if you really look at somebody, then you start getting all this additional information. You know. And you start thinking about like, oh, well, let's see, there's the shape of their nose. There's the shape of their eyebrows. And then, indeed, if you stare at them long enough um, with a nice, uncomfortable stare, <laughs> then they start to look a little weird, you know? Well, and this is called the Troxler effect um, because your brain will actually zoom in on an area. Mm-hmm. And then the, race, the rest of the space will actually fade away. And you've probably seen examples of this before online. Uh, usually it's like a... Uh, a ring of purple dots. Yes. And then you're supposed to stare at the one dot that goes around and around in a circle. And then what happens is the purple fades and then there's the yellow dot becomes more pronounced. Again, it's your brain trying to figure out what's important, fading in and fading out. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's a certain amount of your brain just sort of chewing on itself there, too. If you stare at anything long enough, you're just going to eventually kind of unsee it and see different things. Think of any time you've stared up into uh, the clouds. Or if you've been in, say, a boring meeting or something and you just stare at a particular detail in the room, you start noticing more and more new things about it. You start in making new interpretations about it, mm-hmm. seeing a face where there's not a face, seeing, a, if you're looking at the sky, you know, seeing a, a dinosaur riding a tricycle where there's not a dinosaur riding a tricycle. You know, I was thinking, too, about, you know, when you're when you're actually doing this in the mirror and the, the troxel effect is uh, occurring, that how weird is it that a slice of your forehead and cheek are then subbed in for your eye? Because that's really what your brain is doing yeah. with that. Um, so, of course, you would come away with this idea that there was something monstrous that you saw, something in the mirror, and it had to do with something that was paranormal or the dark arts. Yeah, and throw into that, if you're, if you're using the candle uh, in this uh, particular environment, then you also have a, a light source that is flickering, that's uh, that's altering a little bit, and it's distorting the edges, the lines in the face that you're perceiving. So changes in lighting are also going to uh, contribute to this strange image of yourself that quickly becomes something other than yourself. No, you're right. It is complicating the matter, and especially when we talked about Rodopsin in the last podcast uh, about the science of haunted houses and how your brain really has to sort of recalibrate uh, according to the lighting available. Mm -hmm. So, of course, that's going to distort things further. And again, mirrors are just kind of weird and creepy. I can't help but think of this without being reminded of some of the uh, writings of Jorge Luis Borges, who, of course, is a poet who was fascinated by mazes and mirrors and there's a great little line from his poem, Mirrors, that says, I see them as infinite elemental executors of an ancient pact to multiply the world like the act of begetting 
sleepless, bringing doom, the crystal spies on us. If within the four walls of a bedroom a mirror stares, I am no longer alone. There is someone there in the dawn reflections mutely stage a show. I like that. Yeah. I like this idea, too, that uh, you know, ultimately we, we feel this sense that we're unknowable to ourselves. Yeah. And so if you're staring in the mirror, uh, that's representing this unknown quantity. Yeah, it ties in nicely with the Ouija board, I think. You know, reaching out and touching base with the subconscious and you know, coming to terms with the, the hidden self. All right, psychologist, we have another one for you. Bloody Mary, try it out in your practice. Yes, tell her we sent you. <laughs> so there you have it, slumber party goers. Uh, some science behind the slumber party antics you used to try out. Also some new ammo for your next slumber party. So... Uh, it's really going to be great to hear from listeners on this because I know you guys and gals have tried these before. So be sure to let us know about your own experiences levitating your friends, uh, your own experiences trying to summon dark, bloody specters from the mirror, and, of course, your communications with the, with the spirit world, a.k.a. your subconscious. We'd lo- love to hear about that. So let's call over the robot, and we'll see if we have any listener mail. All right. Our listener, Monique, writes in and says, Hi, Julie and Robert. In two separate podcasts, you talked about uh, that in neighborhoods that are bad, people were more likely to walk past a person in need than in a cleaner neighborhood. There is a criminal justice theory similar to this phenomena. It's called the broken windows theory, thought up by Wilson and Kelling. In essence, the theory states that in neighborhoods that are unkempt, there is a silent signal to wrongdoers that since people do not care about the neighborhoods, they also won't care about committing petty crimes, which is a silent signal for wrongdoers to commit more serious crimes. There's an interesting experiment that was done uh, surrounding this by Dr. Zimbardo of the Stanford Prison Experiment fame. He left a car in a bad neighborhood with the hood up, signaling that no one cared about it. It took a few short days for the car to be dismantled. Thanks again for your great podcast, Monique. Huh, very interesting. And we also heard from Scott. Scott writes in and says, Julian Robert just wanted you two to know how much your podcast helped me out during a really rough point in my life. I have a panic disorder, diagnosing it uh, beyond that is pretty difficult, uh, that I have been working on for the past six years. Unfortunately, driving, especially on the highway, was a pretty major trigger. And having a panic attack while driving is pretty no bueno. What is the Spanish? No bueno? No bueno. And that's no business? No, no good. No good, huh? Uh, at one point, listening to music would get me through reasonably well, but I got to the point where music was no longer engaging my intention enough to keep my mind off of panicking. That's where your podcast came in. I wasn't even sure what a podcast actually was, being a bit of an anti-Apple guy myself, until there was a free podcast app on Amazon's Android market one day last year. I found your podcast while browsing listings in that app and opened it up, uh, opened up a new world of being able to drive, more or less without panicking. I have since uh, learned, after six years of having problems functioning like a normal human, that my vitamin D level was extremely low. I started taking supplements in January and haven't had an attack since, which is pretty remarkable, I think. Since then, I have uh, envisioned a podcast about anxiety, panic attacks, and what happens in the body and mind. From what I can tell, there is very little research on the link between vitamin D levels and panic in some individuals, but I'm cynical enough to believe that it is because vitamin D can't be patented. I'd love to hear what you guys uh, find out about it. Uh, Once again, I can't thank you both enough. You really made my life a lot more bearable. Your fan, avid listener, and research intern hopeful, Scott. Uh, So 
There you go. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah I was just thinking those are two very good podcasts. Uh, Panic Attacks would be very interesting to look into. And also vitamins. Um, we talked about vitamin A and the lack of vitamin A uh, being attributed to night blindness. Yes. So um, certainly when those levels are off, it can affect things. So, so yeah, Scott, glad that we were able to help you in some small way. And uh, glad that you've been able to really tackle that, uh, that problem. So Indeed, yeah. So, hey, the rest of you, get in touch with us. Let us know. Any past episodes are up for grabs. Don't worry about contacting us about an older episode that you have some cool feedback on. And certainly if you want to talk to us about Bloody Mary or whatnot, we're always game for that. You can find us on Facebook and Tumblr where we are Stuff to Blow Your Mind. And you can also find us on Twitter where we tweet under the handle Blow the Mind. And you can always drop us a line at BlowTheMind at Discovery.com. And happy Halloween. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.